Hey, everybody. It is Monday, May 1st. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Osha Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And the place where we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. And, Jill, on this special day, bring you the Justin Timberlake meme for the month. Are you ready? <laughs> always. Always ready. <laughs> It's gonna be me. Although we're feeling Justin. It's gonna be me. Jill, that's a radio interview Justin Timberlake did a couple years ago where the host really, really wanted him to sing it. It's gotten to the point where I don't hear May 1st without thinking of that. It's gonna be May. (laughs) It's just, it's amazing. I have seen out there, uh, it's said over the weekend, that there are two kinds of people. The people who despise the meme and the people who enjoy the meme. And I do feel like team anti-meme is growing through the years. It's funny because I think I both despise it and love it. I, I th- <laughs> It just depends on my mood. Jill, I put a poll up on Instagram, uh, having people vote between the Justin meme and people have been trying to make the Britney meme happen in Oops, I Did It Again. She says, it's just so typically me, me, me. And (laughs) so just given the back and forth between Justin and Brittany through the years, there are people on Team Brittany. But right now, it appears when given just the choice between those two, that Team Justin continues to dominate, at least based on my last check, 80% of the Monu's community going with the Justin meme for the month. Oh, that's funny. I also want to quickly mention that we got this great message um, over the weekend in response to what we talked about on Friday's podcast about overused cliches. I was reading this weekend the New York Times essay about cliches to avoid like the plague. Well, it turns out that we have been using a cliche to open every single one of our podcast episodes. (laughs) I don't know if it's technically a cliche or an idiom, um, but either way, We, quote, read between the lines so you don't have to. (laughs) Read between the lines. Yes, so one of our community members, Isabel, wrote in about the origins of reading between the lines. And I promise everyone we'll get to the news here in a second, but just real quickly, the history of reading between the lines. During the U.S. Revolutionary War, the Continental Army would send notes from Manhattan, which was controlled by the British, to Long Island. And they would write their messages in invisible ink that was literally in between the lines of just a regular note. It could have been a grocery list or something to that effect, but literally they were using invisible ink there in between the lines. Then there was a civilian spy ring known as the Culper Spy Ring, which used an acid wash to raise the letters of the invisible ink. Hence, read between the lines was born. The best part, uh, she notes in her message, is Isabel's great-great-great-great-grandmother, I think I got enough greats in there, was part of that ring. It's very cool, and it does make sense because we say all of these things sometimes without thinking what are their origins, what where did this actually come from. Um, to think that her great grandmother, she said times four, was part of that crew is is incredible. Jill, that does beg the question as to whether we're going to continue to use the term <laughs> that, between the lines, which everyone will have to tune in tomorrow to see if it remains. That is the problem right now. A conundrum. But for now, let's get to some headlines. A manhunt currently underway for the person who shot and killed five of his neighbors in Texas. We'll tell you about an escalation in the war in Ukraine over the weekend. The U.S. has started to evacuate American citizens from Sudan as the civil war in the African country continues. On to politics with the deadline to raise the debt ceiling looming. Democrats and Republicans still in entrenched positions. 
Joe Biden pokes fun at his age and his adversaries like Fox News at the annual White House Correspondents' Dinner. A look at some of the inspirational words about success and failure from an NBA star after losing a big game. And Moshe has on this day in history. We look back at two classic 90s things, Jill. Jerry Seinfeld and AOL Instant Messenger. Well, can we just skip then to on this day? Because (laughs) that's everything I'm about. (laughs) Put up an away message and uh, we'll have more on AIM at the end of today's podcast. All right, Moshe, let's get to some news here, starting with the manhunt in Texas for the person who killed five neighbors, including an eight-year-old on Friday. As of Sunday night, as we're recording this podcast, he is still on the run. Residents in the area extremely concerned that he hasn't been found yet. Now, according to the local sheriff, the suspect is 38-year-old Francisco Oropesa. He was firing his weapon in his yard Friday at about 11 o'clock at night when his neighbors asked him to stop, saying that their baby was trying to sleep. Instead of stopping, Oropesa allegedly became angry took the gun inside the neighbor's home and killed half of the 10 people who were inside of that house. Law enforcement officers initially searched for the suspect in a wooded area near Cleveland, Texas. That is the neighborhood where the shooting happened. But eventually they just lost his trail. The FBI's Houston office on Sunday warned that anybody who might see Oropesa should not confront him because he is considered armed and dangerous. Yeah, we should note Oropesa, they note, is a citizen of Mexico as well, but was residing in the U.S. He could be anywhere within 10 to 20 square miles. Again, this is the update as of Sunday night. They had scent tracking dogs uh, on his trail, but then lost it. There are more than 200 officers involved in the search as of Sunday. They are pursuing several tips, looking door to door. They have recovered the AR-15 style rifle that he used in the killings, as well as articles of clothing, a cell phone, but they are unsure whether he has another gun with him. On Sunday, the FBI's Houston office released a photo of a tattoo on his arm. People can share tips about his whereabouts by calling the following number, 936-653-4367. We'll include a uh, link to that tweet in the show notes. Authorities are offering an $80,000 reward for information leading to his arrest. Oropesa faces five counts of murder for the killings of four adults and the eight-year-old child, according to the county sheriff. The victims were ID'd here is Sonia Guzman, Diana Alvarado, Ulyssa Rivera, Jose Cesares, and Daniel Lasso. He was the eight-year-old boy, all of them originally from Honduras. Five other people in the home survived the shooting. This is a small town about 45 miles northeast of Houston. And one of the reasons this killing has gotten so much attention is this is now the seventh incident in a month in which an armed American shot others in response to an otherwise unremarkable encounter, which in this case was, again, them going over to his fence at 11 o'clock on a Friday night saying, hey, can you stop the shooting? Among those shootings that we've told you about, uh, the 84-year-old man who shot a teenager who accidentally knocked on the wrong door in Kansas City, Uh, Then in upstate New York, a man killed a 20-year-old woman who mistakenly pulled a car into his driveway. In South Florida, somebody shot a delivery driver and his girlfriend when they came to the wrong address. And unfortunately, uh, these types of things keep happening in a country where there are more guns than people. All right, we have a lot more to get to in this podcast, including today's speed read. But 
first, we want to thank a couple of our sponsors this week. We're going to begin with Magic Spoon Cereal. We often talk about nostalgia on this podcast. We will be doing so again in the On This Day at the end of the pod. And one of the things that so many of us look back fondly uh, is the cereals from back in the day. Magic Spoon Cereal has joined us as a partner and has replicated some of those flavors in a more wholesome way in 2023. Their peanut butter, frosty, cocoa, and fruity flavors right now allow you to have the nostalgia from your youth, but in a low-carb way. Right now, the great thing about them is they're gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. And they have a special deal right now for the Mo News community. You can head over to magicspoon.com slash monews to grab a variety pack with those flavors and try today again the promo code monews m-o-n-e-w-s use the code at checkout and save five dollars off your order magic spoon is so confident in its product it's backed with a what they call is a 100 happiness guarantee so if you don't like it they'll refund your money no questions asked remember you can get your next delicious bowl of high protein cereal over at magicspoon.com slash monews and make sure to use the monews code to get five dollars off And now to Bowl & Branch. We are so happy to be partnering again with a brand that helps you get an amazing night's sleep, Bowl & Branch. And they've got a great sale for Mo News listeners. These sheets are made with 100% traceable organic cotton that gets softer with every wash and have already been bought by millions of people. They actually spend a lot of time focused on the supply chain, and it turns out that organic cotton is much better for the environment and the farmers in India. We discussed this recently on the Mo News Instagram account. Another interesting fact that we recently learned, four U.S. presidents have used Bolin Branch sheets. Jill, that's almost 10% of all U.S. presidents. And let's get to the deal here. Starting now, Mo News listeners will get 15% off site-wide. You can use our code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S, to get that 15% off today at bowlandbranch.com. That is bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch, B-R-A-N-C-H.com. Promo code again is MONEWS. Okay, time now for the speed read. Let's start with the latest from the war in Ukraine, which is now in its 15th month from the BBC, an attack on an oil depot in Russian-occupied Crimea that sparked a huge fire was part of Ukraine's preparations for a counteroffensive, that is according to Ukrainian officials. That fire started early Saturday in the city of Sevastopol. It's home to the Russian Navy's Black Sea Fleet. It is the latest example of what looks to be the next phase in this conflict. As for Russia, they've been able to launch deadly strikes far from the front lines, including an aerial assault on Friday that killed more than two dozen people. But they have been unable to break through the Ukrainian defenses in the east, making only small gains as both sides have sustained heavy casualties. And that has given Ukraine hope for a coming counteroffensive with a belt of land just north of Crimea viewed as a likely target. Yeah, for many months now, Jill, literally the conflict might end day by day with one side or the other just taking over a few houses on a street. That's uh, literally the combat happening uh, along the eastern front in Ukraine right now. This coming counteroffensive by the Ukrainians this spring and summer is set to be powered by fresh supplies of very advanced Western military equipment. This includes tanks, armored personnel carriers that have already arrived in the country. This has been something that Ukrainian President Zelensky has been asking for and has received some of. Now, keep in mind that Zelensky has said that reclaiming the Crimea region is a national priority, but other Ukrainian officials and military experts say it is highly unlikely that the peninsula would be the immediate target of the coming campaign. Keep in mind, 
the Russian military took Crimea more than a decade ago. In the most recent war touched off last year, Russia invaded Ukraine to the east and has taken about 15% of the country. Crimea is well behind Russian lines, but the Ukrainians want the Russians to know that uh, they are hoping to regain that as well. Russia has been trying to strengthen its defenses along the coast, laying landmines, building obstacles to slow tanks. So what we saw this weekend, again, a preview of things to come in the uh, coming months in Ukraine. Staying abroad here from CBS News, the U.S. evacuates hundreds of American civilians from Sudan, a convoy of 18 buses carrying several hundred U.S. citizens departed Khartoum on Friday as part of an organized effort to evacuate Americans from Sudan. The evacuees arrived at the coastal city of Port Sudan on Saturday. U.S. government officials are facilitating their onward journey by boat across the Red Sea to Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Notably, though, this is the first organized effort by the United States to evacuate its citizens from the country amid clashes between the Sudanese armed forces and the rapid support forces. A source linked to the evacuation tells CBS News that over 500 civilians are being processed. The 12-hour drive to the coast was confirmed to be under, quote, top cover protection, likely from U.S. military drones. Yeah, given the U.S. doesn't have troops in the region, they use these unmanned armed drones, according to multiple sources, which kept an eye on overland evacuation routes. Security for the convoy was very tight. Passengers were actually instructed not to use their cell phones the entire time. The U.S. government, as we've told you on this podcast, has been criticized by families of trapped Americans in Sudan for initially ruling out any U.S.-run evacuation. There's been a variety of estimates, Jill, the first one being that there were 16,000 Americans in Sudan. Most recently, I saw a report over the weekend from Bloomberg that right now they believe there's 5,000 Americans in Sudan, and most of them didn't want to be evacuated immediately. Some of these people are dual citizens, have families on the ground there. But as things escalate in the conflict, you can imagine more will want to get out. So the U.S. is now following the lead here of Britain, Germany, France, Italy, other countries that are evacuating their citizens. Last weekend, the U.S. began evacuating all of its diplomats. Now it appears they are focused on getting out the American citizens who are there who want to get out. Now into politics from Politico, it appears that neither Democrats nor Republicans seem to have adjusted their positions on the debt ceiling over the weekend. And that is despite House Republicans passing a sweeping debt limit and spending cuts plan on Wednesday. Senator Chris Coons, a Democrat from Delaware, he likened the bill to, quote, hostage negotiations. Uh, He did that Sunday during an interview with ABC News. He said, quote, the Republicans are demanding hostage negotiations where they will crash the full faith and credit of the United States. It would throw our country into recession and hurt us globally. But Republicans are continuing to blame President Biden, who has called on Congress to pass a clean debt limit increase. He has said he's not going to negotiate with Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy on the issue. Citing historical precedent, he said a debt limit increase, not negotiable. So you got two sides here saying we're not negotiating, basically. Well, you have the Republicans in the House saying we passed a bill. We're going to pass a debt limit increase, but we need Joe Biden to cut his budget and actually go back on a lot of the programs he passed the past two years. Then you have Joe Biden on the other end saying, no, 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 no. The way we do stuff in this country for the past 100 debt limit increases is we pass this clean debt limit increase. We don't leverage it for other gains, and we don't play games with the uh, full faith and credit of the United States of America. 
So here we find ourselves in May, Jill, now. We could be weeks away, potentially a couple months away, depending on which estimate you believe, from the measures the government is taking right now that is allowing us to pay back our bills no longer being operational. Keep in mind, we actually hit the debt ceiling a couple months ago, but the Treasury Department does have ways to kind of move around funds in order for us to pay back people who own our debt. So here you have the House Republicans, Steve Scalise, uh, he's Kevin McCarthy's number two over the weekend, calling on Biden to come to the table saying, hey, we passed something on our end, come and talk about it. And again, you have Democrats saying, no, 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 we don't talk about this, you just pass a debt ceiling increase, and that's where we're at. And so Republicans are saying the White House is trying to run out the clock here. Democrats are saying that Republicans are playing games with our faith and credit and our economy. And our regular reminder, Jill, that the debt ceiling is a self-imposed limit we have in the U.S. We're actually one of a few countries that has one that we basically impose it on ourselves. And then we go about raising it each time. And it basically puts a limit on how much we can borrow. When we hit that limit, we increase it. And we've done so over and over and over again. And increasing it this go around would actually allow us to pay back the people we've already taken money from. This is not about future spending. We did a deep dive on this on the Mo News Premium page over on the private Instagram account over the weekend. We should mention, by the way, if you haven't joined, now in its second week, Mo News Premium available to you for $7 a month or $70 a year to become part of the Moniz team, access to that private Instagram page, as well as a private podcast where we're putting more interviews uh, on a weekly basis here. We have Ryan Holiday, you might know him from Daily Stoic, coming up on the premium feed. We're also offering a special deal to Mo News podcast listeners. You get an extra month free on Mo News Premium by using the code MONEWSPOD, M-O-N-E-W-S, pod. All right, from the New York Times, President Biden made his annual appearance at the Black Tie White House Correspondents Association dinner on Saturday night. It is the one night a year that a president is expected to play a stand-up comic in front of a crowd of journalists, politicians, and some celebrities. President Biden made the most of the opportunity with some timely skewering of those who usually skewer him, most notably Fox News, Tucker Carlson, as well as Ron DeSantis, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and Kevin McCarthy, among others. He even took a dig at uh, Don Lemon. He spent some time mocking his own age. Here are some of his best zingers. Well, I believe in the First Amendment, not just because my good friend Jimmy Madison wrote it. (laughs) You might think I don't like Rupert Murdoch. That's simply not true. How could I just like a guy who makes me look like Harry Styles? <laughs> call me old. I call it being seasoned. You say I'm ancient. I say I'm wise. You say I'm over the hill. Don Lemon would say that's a man of his prime. I want everybody to have fun tonight, but please be safe. If you find yourself disoriented or confused, it's either you're drunk or Marjorie Taylor Greene. Moshe, I thought he did a really good job. I thought he was pretty funny. I I thought he did very well. I mean, for background here, folks, Biden doesn't write write these jokes himself. That probably doesn't surprise you. Uh, White Houses going back several administrations typically hire comedy writers uh, to write the material. Uh, for the president. They go through it for months, uh, try to be equal opportunity. There have been some more famous jokes, including the, was what was it, the 2011 White House Correspondents Dinner where Obama 
just took aim at a guest that night, Donald Trump, who was in the audience. Uh, Trump at that time had been tormenting him over uh, being born in Africa, the whole birth certificate <laughs> I thing. Forgot about and that. so Obama's like, all right, <laughs> Donald Trump, I'm going to just go after you. And reportedly, depending on the various stories you believe, this was partial inspiration for Donald Trump to run for president, being like, I'm going to get you people for mocking me at the White House Correspondence Center. Notably, the one president uh, who did not partake in the White House Correspondence Center, Donald Trump, obviously had a very complicated relationship with the media, uh, being generous there. And so he was the one president who was like, I'm not playing this comedy game, this annual dinner, whatever. So uh, we went uh, four years there without the president attending a dinner, two years of Trump, and then two years of COVID, and then Biden uh, started attending again. The reality TV star decided that he didn't want to play a stand-up comic at the White House <laughs> Correspondents' Dinner. I mean, that... If he wasn't so offended by President Obama, it feels like that's everything that he's about. Though at the same time, there's an expectation that you got to poke fun at yourself. And that's something he's not known to enjoy. Uh, you know, we included a, one of the age jokes there in the clip that like, you know, Biden mocked his own age. Uh, and so that's part of the shtick is that if the president's going to go after Republicans, go after the media, that they also will go after themselves. You know, we'll say Biden's timing wasn't great on all the jokes, Jill. There's a couple of jokes that I wish I would have included there that like he just totally whiffed on uh, in terms of timing. Obama, I will say, probably one of the better ones in recent years in terms of comedic timing. Obama, though, is a writer. He gives speeches all the time. I mean, that is his specialty. So I, I don't think that's too surprising. I should say, by the way, this dinner officially, Jill, is to raise money for journalism scholarships for the White House Correspondents Association, though in recent decades, it's effectively become kind of DC's version of the Oscars with a red carpet, uh, media organizations competing to see which celebrity they can bring to the dinner. Last year when I was there, uh, Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian were at the dinner. They have since broken up, of course. Uh, this year, I saw there were a bunch of Vanderpump Rules cast members there. there oh, were, really? Yeah, like Lisa uh, Vanderpump and like Ariana and like some of them were there. I will say that like peak uh, years there were those early Obama years. I got to attend a few of those dinners. That's when I was at Fox and then Bloomberg. And that's when you had like Clooney, Brad Pitt, like Larry David. Uh, I mean, it was really a who's who of celebs from back in the day. I remember running into Julie Bowen in the hallway and like she literally was asking me, I guess they just assume that all men in tuxes might be a waiter or someone there to help. And she's like, sir, sir, can you please direct me to the to the bathroom? And I was like, of course, Julie Bowen. Uh, it's right around the corner to the left. Do you know who I am? Moshe Manunu. <laughs> Do you know who I am? I'm, I'm, I'm a junior producer at Fox News, but I'm, but I'm happy to help you. <laughs> find the ladies room. It is funny, right? To go from George Clooney to the cast of um, Vanderpump Rules. Not, and I am a Bravo-holic, okay? So this yeah. is coming from someone who's obsessed with Bravo, but these aren't exactly huge gets. No, no. The, the A-list years, the Obama uh, period, appear to be over, but we are seeing a return of some. Uh, Brittany Griner, by the way, we should note, was at last night's dinner. Uh, and we should uh, use that to say that there was a serious tone to uh, probably two-thirds of a Biden speech. He gave some jokes, as we uh, mentioned there. But he also discussed, in all seriousness, uh, some of the journalists that are being held abroad, including the Wall Street Journal's uh, Evan Gershkovich, saying, everyone in this hall stands with you. We're working to secure his release and bring all Americans home. He also mentioned Austin Tice. He's a journalist who's been held in Syria for nearly 11 years. Uh, and he mentioned Griner in the audience, saying, boy, I can hardly wait to see you back on the court, kid. 
Now from Sports Illustrated, the Milwaukee Bucks had been picked by many to not only win the 2023 NBA Finals, but at least make it out of the Eastern Conference. They will not be doing either of those things this season as the NBA's top team during the regular season last week became just the sixth one seed to lose to an eighth seed in the opening round of the playoffs. That happened as they fell four to one in this season's series against the Heat. Most we're not making a point to update all of the games in the NBA series. But what did catch our attention was that after that game that we mentioned, uh, the star Giannis Antetokounmpo, he was asked in his post-game media availability if he viewed the season as a failure for the Bucs. The two-time MVP gave a very insightful and detailed response to the question. So let's listen to the question and a bit of the answer. I just asked Bud the exact same question, but I'm curious for you. Do you view this season as a failure? Oh, my God. Uh, okay, because I'm not that up. We, you asked me the same question last year, Eric. Okay. Uh, do you get do you get the promotion every year on your job? No, right? So every year you work is a failure. Yes or no? No. Every every year you work, you work towards something, towards a goal, right? Which is to get a promotion, to be able to uh, take care of your family, to be able, I don't know, um, provide the house for them or take care of your parents. You work towards a goal. It's not a failure. It's steps to success, you know? And if you've never, no, no, I don't want to, I don't want to make it personal. So there's always steps to it, you know? Um, Michael Jordan played 15 years, won six championship. The other nine years was a failure. That's what you're telling me. I'm asking you a question. Yes or no? Okay, exactly. So why are you asking me that question? It's a wrong question. There's no failure in sports. You know, there's good days, bad days. Some days, some days you are able to uh, be successful. Some days you're not. Some days it's your turn. Some days it's not your turn. And that's what sports is about. You don't always win. So, Jill, this bite getting a lot of attention on social media over the weekend uh, among uh, parents, uh, among athletes, really among everybody, because, you know, it's a really interesting view of the word failure. Uh, He does come off as hostile in his response at first, but I thought the way he handled himself with this question, the way he got his point across was respectful and incredibly insightful. Having to answer a question, by the way, about the entire season being a failure, just moments after a very disappointing (laughs) series, number one seed, MVP, they were going to go all the way, is probably not the question he wanted to hear after his loss, especially since he notes in it that this reporter asked the same question last season when they lost, being like, would you consider this season a failure? Jill, a really interesting answer, don't you think? So you posted this on the Mo News account. I reposted it on my personal Instagram. And I had a couple of parents um, who are moms say that they had their kids watch the answer because they thought it was such an important lesson that he was giving. And I I also think it speaks to the power of sports. My dad is a longtime basketball coach. I played sports for a big part of my life. And you learn so much just about winning and losing and working together. It's not just, it's cliche. Speaking of cliches, it's, it's not always about winning. It's, it's about all the lessons that you take with you, the friendships that are made. Um, so I, I thought his answer was, was wonderful and thoughtful. And I liked how he brought it back to the non-sports context. He's like, did you get a promotion last year? Did you get a promotion the year before that? If you didn't get a promotion, do you consider it a failure? 
Do you think you succeeded? And that's the thing you gotta got a view about life, right? Is that ultimately, is every day gonna be amazing? No. But over the year, did you make progress? Did you accomplish? I mean, it's even the way to look at your week. Like, what have I done this week? What have I um, done that I'm happy about? What's a plus of this week? And if you had a couple of pluses this week, great. Um, sometimes it takes a month. Sometimes you're going to have a bad week, right? Or a bad month. So I think the context from Giannis is, is really interesting. For anyone interested in learning more about him, there was a great 60 Minutes piece um, about him a couple of years ago. He's this Greek basketball star, really compelling personal story, went to Milwaukee. Um, at the same time, the real sports people were messaging me, Jill, saying, you know, the Bucks were 58 and 24. They had the league's best record, owned home court advantage throughout the postseason. They did not live up to expectations. At the same time, is it fair to call it a failure? Well, in Giannis's case, he's like, no, that's not a failure. Certainly disappointing. But, you know, failure is a, a really strong word, right? I also think that sometimes journalists just try to ask a provocative question they don't yes. necessarily think that the whole season was a failure per se but they're looking to get some type of soundbite that they can maybe lead a story with or that might make some news yeah that's something to keep in mind here because some people are messaging like i can't believe the reporter would ask a question like that well sometimes if you're a reporter you you throw a question and i've dealt with this many times with politicians or business leaders you try to shake things up in the way you approach the question to try to incite some emotional reaction because otherwise you might just get the basic talking point. So is he the, the worst person to... in the world? You know, like you just ask something ridiculous. <laughs> would you call, would you call them a liar? <laughs> um, well, no, I wouldn't. Like you just do that to like shake it up because if you ask a basic question, you're gonna get a basic answer. So I see all sides in this, but I think this Giannis clip, uh, and you can listen to the full clip on the uh, Instagram account is definitely worth the listen, worth the watch. I thought he made a great point also about Michael Jordan, where he was saying he played for X amount of seasons. He won six titles or whatnot. Does that right. mean the rest? 15 seasons. 15 seasons, six championships were the other nine failures. I saw the last dance. I have uh, Jordan sneakers. I would, <laughs> I'd venture to say no. <laughs> Nothing about that man is a failure. All right, new month, new on this day. May 1st, let's look at the history of that day. I'm going to actually begin, Jill, just 12 years ago. On this day, it was a Sunday night. Many of you might remember it. In 2011, President Obama announcing the death of Osama bin Laden during that U.S. commando operation in Pakistan. Because of the time difference, the raid actually took place on May 2nd in Pakistan. So that is the official death date for bin Laden. But Obama announces it late in the night on May 1st. It ended effectively a 10-year manhunt post 9-11 for bin Laden, and actually longer if you count the Al-Qaeda attacks prior to 9-11 on the USS Cole ship, on the embassy bombings in Kenya and Tanzania. Uh, Jill, the Washington Post last week actually got several hundred more photos from inside the White House Situation Room from that day, May 1st, 2011. They actually did a Freedom of Information Act request from the Obama presidential library and archives. So you can go, if you have a Washington Post subscription, over to WashingtonPost.com to check out the photos uh, from that day and how it all transpired. Moshe, I remember exactly where I was. I was watching television and of all things, Celebrity Apprentice that Donald Trump posted. Oh, and o Obama interrupted yes, with the Bin Laden exactly. Jill, if people are interested in more about this, uh, the interview I did in the Mo News podcast last summer with Michael Morell, the former CIA director, he happened to be in the Situation Room with Obama that day briefing him, and we talk a bit about it. Uh, I will make a point of linking to it um, in the show notes. And uh, Jill, there's a lot we're linking to in the show notes. I got to remember all this stuff. I have to remember all of it. <laughs> <You> <laughs> Jill puts together the show notes, everybody. 
<laughs> direct all all feedback to her on show notes. But um, what did Morel say? So he talks about how he thought there was less likely than a 50% chance that bin Laden was actually there. And Obama had to go with his gut, despite all the advice he was getting from around the table, and make that decision. Notably, Joe Biden, then his vice president, actually uh, was pushing against the raid, thinking it was a big mistake. Uh, he would later clarify his position. But to those in the room, they believe Biden was actually a vote against it. So it's fascinating when you get in that context, the decisions that presidents have to make. And I was looking at those new photos that just came out from the Situation Room and from that day. And one of the ones that actually has been out for a while, it shows everyone around the table. And then you have Hillary Clinton, who's kind of covering her mouth. And it looks like she's just going like, oh, my God. She has come out to say since that picture came out that she actually was just coughing. <laughs> that <that's>... oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, because what's interesting about that raid is one of the helicopters uh, had major technical issues uh, and was crashing into the bin Laden complex. And that was the helicopter they had to leave behind that they blew up on the ground there, the stealth helicopter. So that uh, raid gets off to a really, really shaky start. It's a fascinating history, uh, and you can read more about it online. All right, Jill, turning 92 years old today, the Empire State Building. May 1st, 1931, the Empire State Building opens up in New York City. The 102-story building was actually the tallest building in the world for about 40 years there till the 1970s when everyone just started going berserk with building tall buildings uh, and now is way, way down that list. All right, as promised, a bit of 90s history here. 26 years ago today, May 1st, 1997, AOL Instant Messenger, AIM, was released. Jill, were you leaving Sublime lyrics or Dave Matthews <laughs> lyrics in your uh, away message? No, was that a thing? I never did that. Oh, yeah. That was like the communication for us, at least on campus. I remember in college, you would leave up like going to this party as your away message. And, you know, that was the era when text messaging didn't exist yet. Or if it existed, you had to pay per text message. And so you check your desktop computer, right, or your laptop and go into Instant Messenger check people's screen names and see what their away messages were to figure out what was going on that night. Mosh, I clearly missed this cultural mo moment and I'm never going to get it back, I guess. I'll live vicariously through you. If you have thoughts about AIM, leave us a voicemail <laughs> or uh, <laughs> or send me a message about it. I don't know. It was, it, was, it was a really important part of my kind of late high school, early college career. Um, Jill, actually, on 9-11, when the phones went down in D.C., I was on campus. I was a GW student. AIM was how I communicated with my mother and my family to say I was okay because I evacuated the Capitol that day because I was an intern on Capitol Hill. So I remember AIM being the way to communicate, especially on 9-11, with phones down. Fast forward, Verizon would eventually acquire AOL. They actually shut down AIM in 2017, but it had a good 20-year run. In particular, I would say those first 10 years, it really peaked, except in your world, Jill. You, you were not an AIM person. Over my head. All right, Jill, some birthday news this weekend. I thought of you. One of your favorite comedians turned 69 this weekend, Jerry Seinfeld. And I found this clip of him talking about birthdays on the show I wanted to share with everybody. Take a listen. I am getting a little tired of pretending I'm excited every time it's somebody's birthday. You know what I mean? What is the big deal? How many times do we have to celebrate that someone was born? Every year, over and over. All you did was not die for 12 months. That, that's all you've done, as far as I could tell. Are those astrology things where they, they tell you all the people that have the same birthday as you? So it's an odd group of people, too, isn't it? It's like Ed Asner, Elijah Muhammad, and Secretariat. As always, Jerry Seinfeld making a great point. Um, by the way, I share a birthday with Donald Trump. Look at that. <laughs> I have Mr. T and Notorious B.I.G. 
Uh, may he rest in peace. So uh, we both have birthdays coming up. We're both Geminis. All right, a couple more things before we go. A movie news on this day in 1941, Citizen Kane. Orson Welles' classic, considered by many critics to be the greatest film ever made, premiered in New York. Jill, I feel like Citizen Kane is up on that list of movies people say they saw because they're embarrassed to say they haven't. I have seen it, but only because I took a film class in college. Me too. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> they teach it to you. Like, you know, you have to see, you have to watch Citizen Kane, so you watch that along with a few other films in every film class. And then finally, we'll end with some music news here. 22 years ago today, Destiny's Child would release their third album, Survivor. Jill, this was the uh, peak Destiny's Child era. Uh, this album gives us Survivor, Independent Woman, and Bootylicious. I know what I'm going to be listening to on my workout today. Uh, <laughs> all right, everybody. <laughs> that is a wrap for the podcast. We want to thank you for listening to the Mo News podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. And don't forget to call us. We have a voicemail line where we're taking your voicemails. We'll play them in a future episode. one 800 711 Mosh. Uh, leave your name. Say hello to me and Jill. Tell us what's going on. But keep it tight so we can play your question. <laughs> no and pressure. It. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Don't forget to follow us as well over on the Instagram account, the Mo News Instagram account at Mosh at M O S H E H. And don't forget to join Mo News Premium. Become a part of the Mo News team over at Mo.news slash premium. $7 a month or uh, annual package $70. That's two free months. And if you. Use the Mo News Pod code M O N E W S P O D. You get an extra month free. So again, Mo.news slash premium for extra podcast content and an extra Instagram account. All right, bye everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.